It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. One for three. One for three? Yeah, or one and that's two? That's what I meant. One for three. Oh, one for three. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> USC, baby. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 707 of Locked on Raptors for Wednesday, April the 29th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked on Raptors. You can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked on Podcast Network. We've got team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams, as well as most of the other teams in the big four sports leagues, as well as the power conferences in the NCAA. It's very much appreciated if you want to support one of the shows on the network to please go subscribe to, rate, and review. A lot of great stuff is coming out right now. This week, all week long, people are looking back at the greatest moments in franchise history for their respective teams. Lots of great, fun, creative stuff coming out across the network, so please make sure you're going, subscribing, rating, reviewing, supporting the hosts that are putting out great stuff for you as uh, things are still in limbo here. We're waiting for sports to come back, and things are weird, and uh, the people still are doing awesome work for you, so please Please go check it out. On that note of the greatest moments in franchise history, I thought today I would open up the Patreon vault. Of course, the Patreon Primo's Pasta and Ross podcast that I used to host that is now uh, defunct had a lot of episodes that went up that talked about Raptors history and some of the best moments. And in particular... We did a podcast about a year and a half ago now with myself and Josh Howe from Raptors Republic. He spent time this year as one of the feature writers for Raptors.com, the same job I had in March. And we did a podcast about Game 7 
against the Brooklyn Nets in 2013. I know what you're thinking. No, they lost that game. It was a crushing, heartbreaking loss. It ended in Paul Pierce being happy. How is this one of the greatest moments in franchise history? I'd say that it was a great moment, colored by the fact, of course, that the Raptors eventually won a title out of the whole thing. I do think it goes down as one of the more sort of important, memorable, standout, and yeah, maybe even best moments in Raptors history. You had a wonderful game from Amir Johnson. You had Fuck Brooklyn. You had the We the North commercial dropping. It was the first playoff game in like seven years in Toronto, and it was really the start of the We the North era. And so I think to dial it back and sort of take a look back at it, it it's a pretty good time to do so. And so uh, I'm going to re-air the podcast with myself and Josh Howe from the old Patreon feed. It's about an hour and a half long or hour long, so we'll do it over the course of two episodes. Uh, so you get first first part today as we talk about the game, and then second part tomorrow, we'll finish off the conversation. Later this week, I'm going to be joined by Katie and Vivek for a mailbag podcast. There seem to be pretty good reviews to the last one we did together a couple weeks back, so we'll team up to a Zoom call on Friday and take your mailbag questions so please get those in and next week I'm working on some pretty fun stuff for guests I think I was I had some high hopes for this week things didn't quite work out but next week I uh, I hope to have some pretty fun interesting and and uh, really sort of unique guests so please keep an eye out and it should be a lot of fun so uh, yeah that's what to expect for the next little while here still going three days a week for the time being uh, maybe you'll get a fourth podcast in there one week or another down the line here but uh, until then you can enjoy what we got and today we got the conversation with myself and Josh Howe from last year talking about the Raptors and Nets Game 7, one of the craziest games in Raptors history. It has Terrence Ross with an amazing steal, so this game is near and dear to my heart for a lot of reasons. It has Kyle Lowry having himself a game. It's got Amir Johnson. It's got everything. So please enjoy myself and Josh Howe breaking down Raptors Nets Game 7. But first, let me tell you about Postmates. Right now, Obviously, you're quarantined, you can't go outside, but you're still thinking about what you want to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. If you're like me, you're doing exactly that pretty much every day. I love food, and that's why I love using Postmates. They deliver food from every restaurant you can think of right to your door, but Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make your life easier with grocery delivery and whatever you can think of delivery, too. Anything that's an essential service that's open right now, you can get stuff delivered from them by Postmates. So no more trips to the store, no more late-night fast food runs. You don't even have to worry about where to grab lunch anymore, and you really don't have to worry about stepping foot outside of your house, which you're not supposed to be doing right now anyway. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android, find your favorites, and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use the code LOCKEDONNBA. That's code LOCKEDONNBA for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it and tip your drivers handsomely because they are putting their lives on the line for you quite literally right now. So please tip handsomely. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And with that, let's get to the conversation now with myself and Josh Howe. This episode is all about the Toronto Raptors and the Brooklyn Nets, and in particular, Game 7 
of that series back in 2014 that the Raptors ended up losing on a last-second block by Paul Pierce on Kyle Lowry. Uh, this the, That clip you just heard, the Fuck Brooklyn clip, is not from Game 7, but I thought it was a good way to lead this thing off. So joining me today to talk all about Game 7 of Raptors-Nets, a 104-103 loss for Toronto, maybe the most heartbreaking sports moment of my life to this point. And I'm sure this might be up on the, on the list of our guests as well. It's Josh Howe from the Writers Write podcast from Raptors Republic, a whole bunch of other places. How's it going, buddy? It's going pretty good, man. I've got my uh, box of tissues right beside me. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm ready to do this. Let's go. Yeah, I was going to be sad, and then I heard Masai say, fuck Brooklyn, and I was like, you know what? I'm actually jacked up for this. This is going to be a positive, fun experience. I'm, I'm not upset anymore, but we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll get to it. This, you know, this podcast... For the most part, we've had a lot of fun, right? We've talked about Mike James, we've talked about Jose Calderon, we've talked about the Raptor. It hasn't been too deep in the wallowing and Raptor sadness just yet, but buddy, are we going to get into that today, of course? This is, I don't know, so I guess we can start it off there. Where does the Raptors' loss in Game 7 of 2014 to Brooklyn rank for you in all-time sports heartbreaks? Oh, man. Um, it's definitely up there, especially in recent memory. Mm-hmm. I mean... In, in terms of Raptors losses, it's so tough because there's been so many, and, and now we're in like that golden era. Uh, honestly, like Game One last postseason mm. is pretty brutal. Like, I don't. It's a totally different experience from that game because that game was, uh, you know, the Raptors were. This is the Cavs series, the right? You're talking about? Um, I, no. So Game Seven. Game Seven. Oh. So. Like I, so that is the game I'm talking about. But like in terms of, yeah. so okay, so game seven is what I'm talking about right now. Like yeah. that game was like a fight the whole way through, right? Mm-hmm. And then you, you go to like compared to game one, like that was just like uh, a prize fighter hitting a guy in the mouth and then just getting beat down the whole rest of the way. Yeah. So it was like totally different. Where um, it just you could feel it slipping away from the Raptors against the Cavs, whereas Brooklyn was more like you had no idea and it just came down to the final play so like those are the two in recent memory anyway that just like i, I think about immediately when i think of raps losses that just killed me yeah that game one against the Cavs was truly terrible with the two missed threes by fred van vliet one at the end of regulation one in overtime it sucked a whole lot because like that totally and the raptors talked about it for the rest of the series essentially like yeah game one sucked it deflated us that was terrible and that kind of weighed over the entire series. They ended up getting swept, obviously. Um, I uh, I guess the one, the one against Brooklyn, it's a little different, right? Because they were never supposed to be there. There wasn't the expectations attached to it at all. And even the game itself, like, Brooklyn kind of dictated the pace of the game for the most of the time. They were up 5 to 10 points pretty much the entirety of the game until the very end where Kyle Lowry went on a crazy run and, and they ended up pulling it back. Um, so I guess the... Lack of expectation and then having it sort of there for you in that game, it sort of, I don't know how it sort of affected me in, in comparison to the Cavs series. Because the Cavs series that came with so much expectation, and expectation inherently is going to lead to greater disappointment if those expectations aren't reached. But for, I, I had already kind of checked out of the Raptors-Nets game in Game 7 because it was like, Halfway through the third, the, the fourth quarter, the Raptors were down 10. Joe Johnson had just scored 11 points in a row. And I was like, yeah, this is just not going to happen. And it's fine. Like, they weren't supposed to be here. It's all good. And then all of a sudden, they were supposed to be there all of a sudden again. And it's like, oh, shit. Like, there's a chance for them to win this. And then it fell short at the hands of stupid Paul Pierce. And it just sort of 
it rocked me in a way that I think kind of hit me a little bit harder just because it was also frantic and quick and maybe like with the overtime against the Cavs, maybe it kind of felt like the entire overtime, like there was just like a, a cloud looming over the Raptors and it was just never going to happen for them. I don't really know how you felt with that, but I, I don't know. For some reason, even though the stakes were so much lower, I find that that loss against Brooklyn kind of sits with me a lot worse than uh, anything that's happened over the last few years in the playoffs. And I guess thankfully, I mean, maybe not thankfully, but I guess if there's one silver lining to getting the piss kicked out of you in the playoffs all the time and getting swept a few, like, like four or five times, it's the fact that when you get swept, there is no expectation that you're going to win. It's just kind of waiting for the inevitable axe to fall in your head. And it's it's less heartbreaking because you can prepare yourself for it. Whereas there was no preparation with this net series whatsoever. Um, I guess let, let's let's start at the beginning of Game Seven and kind of work our way through just sort of the details of this game in case people don't remember. So they played May fourth, twenty fourteen. That's what it was. Uh, the Raptors had led the series three two. Obviously, they lost Game Six in Brooklyn and came back home. This game was on ABC. Do you remember how exciting it was to watch this game on ABC, or did you watch the Raptors feed? I'm pretty sure I watched the Raptors feed, okay. but um, I do remember like it, it being on ABC and um, just having that option. Yeah, uh, I think I think I was just so conditioned to like watching the Raptors on TSN that that's where I went to. But yeah, like um, Hubie was on the call for that game, right? Yeah, it was Mike Tirico and Hubie Brown, which that's the reason I tuned in. And Mike Tirico is a bit of a gross person. We don't need to get into that, but uh, the, his call was very good at this game. And Hubie Brown is amazing. And I always love when he's doing Raptors games nationally. And it was just a, it was a treat to watch. Also, this is a weird thing. Watching back the highlights today, the the ESPN scoreboard back then, it had these like fat numbers. And for some reason that always kind of like in my brain was like, yeah, like gritty fat numbers. Like it's the playoffs, baby. Like these are gross numbers that are just like full of defense and sludge. And I was like, for some reason that something in my head clicked like, yeah, I like this for the playoff setting. That makes probably absolutely no sense to you. But um, it's it's what was firing through my uh, adult brain at that time. Um, of course, there was a lot around this series, right? It was the first Raptors series in playoff series since 2009 when they lost or 2008 when they lost to the Magic in five games in a series that I try to repress from my memory anyway because it was such trash. Um, and there was uh, this was never supposed to happen, right? Do you remember sort of your roller coaster of emotions from this season in particular leading up to this series? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember the beginning of the season, um, you know, continuing to try with the Rudy Gay DeMar DeRozan experiment, and it just wasn't going well. Rudy wasn't shooting well at all. Um, he was rebounding well, and that was about it. Uh, it just didn't fit because there were two guys that needed the ball, and um, they didn't really know how to play off of one another very well, even though they like each other a lot. Um, they're good friends. But, yeah, that didn't work out. So then, you know, Massa and I made the trade uh, with Sacramento, and it was basically supposed to be the Raptors getting a bunch of spare parts and, you know, looking to tank, really, and trying to get a high draft pick and, and going back to that way. And it was sort of like, okay, well, here we go again. This is what's going to happen. And then out of nowhere, uh, you know, Grievous Vasquez and Patrick Patterson become like key role players on this team and they start winning some games um, and Hal Lowry and DeMar DeRozan start to pick it up and it really become sort of you know that tandem that by the time we got to last year like that was really I think where it started uh, as those two as the duo mm-hmm. um, yeah it, it, it was a crazy ride where you know you started winning some games and you went on a little streak and all the fans were kind of like oh hey like we're winning here. And then Masai and company had to make that tough decision of, 
so we're winning now like do we ride this out or or, or do we make another move or what mm-hmm. and um they ended up riding it out and Raptors got to the playoffs and that that was pretty exciting in itself like you're saying that, that definitely wasn't the expectation when the Rudy Gay trade was made so yeah it was kind of a wild season in general yeah and then you know of course going into the playoffs the Raptors were the three seed in the east and it was really cool. Like, it was great, but it was kind of a weakened East. Brooklyn was supposed to be this, like, super team, right? They were just, I think, a year or two. Yep. Maybe this was the first year after the the trade with the Celtics where they where they got Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce for their entire future for the next 10 years. Um, and they were supposed to be this super team, right? And they started the season pretty disappointingly. Eventually, they kind of figured it out and got, you know, onto a bit of a roll by the end of the year. And we're heading into the playoffs as one of the hotter teams in the league. Yet they wanted to tank their way down to play the Raptors. I think they could have been the four seed. And who did they go up? Who was that playoff series against? The four five was was it Chicago Milwaukee that year, or am I mistaking myself there? I I, I can't really. Oh no, it was Washington and Chicago, I believe, right? Yeah, I yeah. think it was Washington. Yeah, yeah. so Chicago. yeah, so there was that, and then Washington beat the piss out of Chicago that year in five games, and um, so they were the <laughs> Chicago was the Raptors before the Raptors ever existed. Um, but so yeah, the 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 thing about for the Wizards was sorry with the with the Nets is that they wanted to tank down and play the Raptors because they were young and experienced all this stuff, and it obviously it eventually ended up working for them, and they ended up winning the series. But I think the series ended up a lot closer than maybe it was predicted that it would be. I think a lot of people said, like, yeah, Brooklyn's going to win this series pretty easily just because the Raptors were this upstart team that maybe they were only kind of regular season good, were kind of riding good juju, and when they came across Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and company, they were just going to be overwhelmed by, like, veteranism or whatever the hell. Um, do you remember sort of your expectations going into the series? Um. Yeah, I mean, I was a little worried about the Nets, but... Not as worried as I think some people were. Like, the narrative of that whole season was that that team just needed to make the playoffs because they weren't impressive yeah. all season long, really. Um, and it's, it wasn't a big surprise because the core guys they traded for in the former Celtics, like, especially KG, who was, like, 38 at the time, yeah, um, they're older. Like, they were on their last legs the year before um, with the Celtics team. So um, I wasn't as concerned about it. I was never a Darren Williams guy, so, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I, I kind of felt good about that. Um, so I, I thought at the time that if the Raptors were going to be able to make an upset, like, you know, this would be a team that they could probably do it against. Yeah, I was worried about the experience, but I mean, you know, the age kind of evened that out for me. Yeah, that's fair. Um... The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So yeah, this is sort of running through the Nets roster for this series just a lot of dudes who have been around a long time. Joe Johnson, Darren Williams, Alan Anderson, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett was the starting lineup for Game 7. Uh, off the bench, they had Mirza Toledovic, who I remember torching the Raptors in this series. Uh, Marcus Thornton, Sean Livingston, Andre Blatch had a few games as well. He had 9-7 and seven in Game 7. Uh, Mason Plumley was on this team. Andre Kirilenko on his last legs. Um, Jorge Gutierrez, Jason Collins were the uh, DNPs in Game 7. Wasn't Bogdan Bogdanovic on this team too? Am I mistaking that myself there? 
think he was maybe. Yeah, I feel like he kind of yeah, I feel like he kind of cooked the Raptors a little bit in that series. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm thinking Toledovich, and I'm just you know putting all the uh, <laughs> or sorry, Boyan yeah. Bogdanovich, not Bogdan. The the, the oh okay yeah, okay. but um. Okay. I don't know. Should have prepared for that. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the, the series happens. It's back and forth. The Raptors lose game one, obviously. At least they wore jerseys that weren't the same color. Or the, the T-shirts weren't the same color as the opposing team's jersey. So that's nice. Um, sorry, Bo- 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 Bojan Bogdanovic was on the 2014-15 Nets. That's why I was uh, mistaking myself there. He ah. didn't play in this series. But uh, Toledovic did. So there was one Euro white who was shooting a bunch of threes on the Raptors' heads. Um and so the game, the series back and forth, obviously. Kyle Lowry has a few big games. Uh, DeMar has a bit of a rough series. I remember Jonas had a very nice series as well. And we get to game seven. And this was at the culmination of, like, maybe the best first round I can ever remember. There were five game sevens. This was day two of all the game sevens. And they, they preceded the Spurs and Mavericks game seven, which I kind of, like, I always forget that series went to seven in the first round, and the Mavs almost beat the Spurs before the Spurs went on to win the title that season with some of the most beautiful basketball you've ever seen. Um, that, that first round was just was just so good and enthralling, and for the Raptors to kind of have center stage on the Sunday to close out the first round with that Game 7 in Toronto with Jurassic Park bumping and ABC on it, it was a really cool feeling. It was one of those more sort of, you know, it, it was a validation that I think Raptors fans have needed for a long time, and that was one example where they've really gotten it. So let's get into the game. The first quarter starts, the Nets start out on a 6-0 run in the first minute and a half, and then Amir Johnson gets tied up on a screen and hurts his ankle. And he's obviously Amir Johnson, so his ankles are perpetually in a state of plight, but he, he looked like he was in pretty rough shape when he went down, Yet he proceeds after the the sort of looking like he'd hurt himself, maybe pulling himself out of the game. He proceeds to drop 12 first quarter points on 6 of 7 shooting and scores 18 in the first half before running into foul trouble. This was of a lot. There's been a lot of great Amir Johnson games. Do you like rate this one in particularly high regard? Yeah, this one's super high. Like I remember that moment when he hurt his ankle and yeah. he went down and it did look bad. Like it looked like uh, he was um like, he might miss the rest of the game, honestly. Like, he was limping pretty bad at first. And uh, that's the thing about Amir Johnson, right, is he's a warrior. That was always the go-to um, definition of Amir Johnson. Is mm-hmm. like he is the warrior. He's the heart of the team. He's the guy. He was like our Draymond Green, except he just didn't talk like Draymond Green. <laughs> um, he's, he's not that crazy. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like, he came back after that injury and um, just played his heart out, like, it was crazy to see, like, you know, he's doing those little hook shots. Uh, he's got perfect timing on it and everything and where he's supposed to be. He's such a south defender, um, always with the hustle. Like, it was almost like the injury made him stronger. Like, you know, he, like he knew it was game seven. He was laying it all on the line. I, I love that guy, man. Amir Johnson forever. Yeah, for some reason, before I had, like, gone back and, like, looked at the, the extended highlight packs and stuff, first of all, there's no available archive of this game unless you pay, like, $40 for it, which is insane. Apologies, I couldn't uh, justify doing that. But um, I, I had thought for some reason that he kind of spearheaded a second-half comeback for the Raptors, but it wasn't that case. He was just sort of the staple of the offense in the first half. Again, 18 points. He finished the night with 20-10, and 10, uh, as well as a steal and one block on 9-12 of 12 shooting. And... You know, I think maybe sort of one of the turning points of this game and one of the moments where I felt my most despair was in the fourth quarter, about four minutes in, 7.53 to go, actually. He fouls out, 
um, which, you know, we can get into that. But that felt like a, a real sort of death blow because he had been so good for the Raptors, not just throughout that game, but just all season long. He's just so steady. He always felt good when Amir Johnson, the plus-minus god, was on the court. And to have that taken away with eight minutes left with the Raptors still down, I think by 10 at this point, it was uh, it was a real blow to take. And I, I just... I. I was feeling a little sort of trepidatious about like the Raptors' chances for the remainder of the game, as, considering again they were already down, and you know you were down your your best plus minus guy, your, one of your best defenders, especially in a game where Jonas Valanciunas was playing terribly. He he played 27 minutes in this game. Jonas did had three points and five boards on a one of five shooting, and was a minus 23 for a team worst. Um, so not having that Amir security blanket was a real bummer. Um, do you remember your sort of feelings as Amir went down uh, in that or, or fouled out in the third in the fourth quarter there? Yeah, I was definitely concerned about the front court because um, it just seemed so thin with the way Valanciunas was playing. Yeah, and I think maybe Casey should have went to Valanciunas anyway, just for some size, for some um, even just for screen setting ability. Yeah, but like I was a little concerned now. Like Patrick Patterson actually played pretty well in this game for the most part. Um, uh, not really defensively, but I mean, he didn't miss a shot offensively. He didn't force anything, so that yeah. was nice. You didn't have to worry about him really forcing too much, but there wasn't a lot of, you know, classic Patrick Patterson at the three-point line with nobody around him, and he's just hesitating. Like, he didn't even take a three in this game. Yeah. So um, so he was playing all right, but, like, to rely on Patrick Patterson and, like, your one big uh, <laughs> in, in the closing minutes of Game 7, like, that was concerning to me. I was like, okay, well, if Amir's out and... And Casey doesn't want to put out Valanciunas. Um, you got Patterson. Like, what else? Are you going to rely on Chuck Hayes? Like, that was my concern. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just that was my initial reaction when Amir fouled out of the game. Yeah. So just in the lead up to Amir fouling out, just sort of a little Cole's notes on what happened in this game. In the second quarter, Joe Johnson starts doing Joe Johnson things, and they go into the half. The Nets do with a sixty-one fifty-three lead. Uh, at the end of the third. It's 81-70 nets, and DeMar brings it up with the shot clock off, drives to the right corner, and hits a fallaway three, not unlike the game-tying three Kevin Durant hit against the Raps on Thursday night. Um, and it was just like, A, DeMar hitting a three. It was, it's Whenever you saw it, it was like seeing Eclipse. It was great. It was really cool. And just like that kind of re-energized, I think, a little bit. It was 81-73. The Raptors had tied that third quarter and moved it into the fourth. And I, I just like... I remember feeling pretty good about the Raptors' chances, like at least just like a little bit optimistic, right? And then Amir fouls out, and then it all hope kind of goes away. And, you know, it just continues on throughout most of that fourth quarter where I'm kind of giving up a little bit. It's where there's like 5.30 left. Joe Johnson goes on a little run. Actually, when Amir fouls out on that play, Joe Johnson appears to hurt his own ankle on that play. And there was a bit of a kerfuffle. Kyle Lowry and Kevin, or Kevin Garnett getting a bit of a, a mix-up. Garnett gets a technical foul, yet... After that play, Joe Johnson goes and proceeds to drop 11 straight points for the Nets. And with 5.30 left to go, the Nets are up 97-87. And even then, like even a couple minutes later, down 9 with 3.42 left, DeMar drives, gets called for a charge, and then gets a technical foul. So they're down by 10 again with 3.42 left. And this is where Kyle Lowry kind of takes over, right? And he has... A wonderful fourth quarter. He's a wonderful game in general. He has 13 points in the fourth quarter. Finishes with a game-high 28. And I, he was 9 of 17 from the field, but it was 12 of 14 from the line. I think a lot of those free throws in the fourth quarter came and were kind of valuable because it stopped the clock while also kind of getting them back in the game. And that is kind of how that comeback spearheaded itself in that final three and a half minutes or so. A lot of Kyle Lowry just getting to the bucket and doing his thing. Uh 
Does this game is this game that you kind of hold on to whenever you sort of get into the argument with somebody about whether or not Kyle Lowry is a good playoff player? Um, it's it's definitely a good indicator um, of like Kyle Lowry going full Kalo yeah. um, and and not always having been bad in the playoffs. Yeah, he's had bad games, but he's not always been bad in the playoffs. I, now at this point, um, I kind of point to uh, last. Uh, playoff series against Cleveland just because yeah. it's the most recent and in game three when uh, DeRozan was on the bench yeah. Casey benched him and um, you know it was kind of OG and Lowry spearheading the, the comeback at the end and Lowry in those final like five minutes around there he was like he was going bananas I yeah. mean he was incredible but yeah, this game too. I'm um, definitely like like a different version of Lowry. Like this was the attack, 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 Kyle Lowry. Like I'm doing it. I'm taking over. Like it's just going to be me, and I'm going to the rack every time. Um, and like you said, he had 13 points in the fourth quarter on like 57 percent shooting. Like mm-hmm. he was like he was getting pretty much whatever he wanted. And even though the Nets knew that you know he was going to be doing this uh, the whole fourth, and it didn't really matter. So. This is definitely a good example of it. I think it gets marred a little bit, though, by the fact that everybody just remembers Kyle getting blocked at the end. Yeah, we'll get to that. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Kyle ends up in this uh, fourth quarter. It's 101.97 with, like, a minute left. And sort of his, I think, biggest bucket of the game comes where he drives. He This is after Darren Williams splits a pair of foul shots. The Nets were only 5 of 9 from the line in this quarter, which really helped the Raptors come back as well. Uh, Kyle drives. He gets a bucket. The in-close look. It's his 13th points of the game. Uh, or, sorry, of the quarter. And again, like this game, I kind of always use and this series in general. He was pretty good for the most part in the series. He had a 30-point game, I believe, in game three or four. One of the games back in Brooklyn, he had an excellent game too. And I, I, this is sort of this series last year as well, or kind of when I'm like, yeah, like like. Kyle's very good when he's healthy in the playoffs. When he's not horribly, horribly injured and his back isn't dust and his yeah. wrist, his elbow isn't like protruding out three feet from his from where it should be and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, Kyle's really goddamn good in the playoffs. Um, and like he, just like the the way that he carries himself, it just it's weird to me that a dude who tries that hard and is that just like rugged and doesn't give any fucks. Like it feels like that's the kind of guy who people would just, like, revere for what they do in the playoffs. And he's had untimely injuries, of course, and that all ties into what he is as a player, that if he can't stay healthy for the playoffs, then what good is he? But I think the Raptors have done a better job the last couple of years, obviously, of trying to keep him fresh. And um, I think, you know, we'll see, I think, again this year, Kyle will be very good in the playoffs. And, you know, there were, there were other games as well. Game 7 against Miami comes to mind. A bunch of those games against Miami actually come to mind. You know, the games 3 and 4 against the Cavs, too. Game 7 against the... Or, or game 6, maybe, against the Pacers. Or Game 5 against the Pacers. Some games against the Pacers. He was pretty bad for a lot of that first part of that playoff run. But, like, there's also been a lot of good, a lot of good Kyle... Um, so that brings us to the last bit of the game here. The Raptors are down 104-103 with like 10 seconds left, and they draw a nice little inbound play for Terrence Ross, who quickly gets to the basket, makes it 104-103. Then we go to the other end, the Nets call a timeout, and we're on the other end, and they have an inbound play on the side. I'm just going to play it here for you. To look to trigger again, still looking, still looking, Ross got a hand on it, Ross got it, threw it off of Pierce! Oh my god, that goddamn play. (laughs) Um, If people wonder why I love Terrence Ross so much, that play is like, 
40% of the reason why Terrence Ross has a framed photo of himself above my desk that I'm recording this at right now. Um, he is... That play was just so wonderful. The fact that it happened on Paul Pierce, too, just like the schadenfreude I had to see Paul Pierce get owned by Terrence Ross, it was beautiful. Do you remember your reaction to this play? Yeah, I remember freaking out. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, it was two incredible plays by T. Ross in a row. Yeah. Like, he just had that, uh, that quick layup to to get them uh, closer. And then immediately on the other end, uh, they managed to blow up the inbounds and Terrence Ross just skying, just jumping. And finally, like, you know, there's the athleticism and it's perfect timing. And he's, uh, he throws it off of Pierce and ah, it was just so perfect that, you know, five seconds was just like, you know, straight up Raptors porn. Like it's incredible. (laughs) Um, yeah. The only thing that would have been better if he just said, like, I wish he would have just said, like, fuck you, Paul, or something like that at the end of it. Like, it would have <laughs> been nice, but, you know, you can't be perfect, obviously. <laughs> yeah. We all good. shoot less than 100%. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after this play, the Raptors get the ball back, of course, with how much time is on the clock for this? There's not much time. There's, like, I don't know, five seconds on the clock. So the Raptors get the inbound on the other on the other side, and... I'll just play the play. We all know the play by now, but I'll just uh, put the audio in the show. Here it is. Vasquez looking. Still looking. Guess it's to Lowry. At five seconds, Lowry. Williams, the tight defense. Here is Lowry on the deck. Through two. Lowry put it up. It's blocked by Pierce. And the Nets win the series. As... <sighs> <sighs> yeah. Just, uh... Just a rough go. So there's a lot to, di- to dissect with this play. First of all, for people who haven't seen it, obviously you've seen it. You've watched this game, I'm sure, if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, they inbound from the right side. Kyle gets it. And Darren Williams and Kevin Garnett kind of converge onto Kyle. And I think it's, from the view of, the, of this kind of grainy footage, it looks like it's either Joe Johnson or Marcus Thornton who is sort of the guy who's sort of attached to Terrence Ross. But Terrence Ross is standing... Like, way past oh, the hash mark on the left side of the court. And I think it was Alan Anderson, wasn't it? Oh, it might be Alan Anderson. That's correct. Yeah, I remember Marcus Thornton having some moments in this series. So I was, I guess yeah. I was, uh, <laughs> I had flashbacks of Marcus Thornton as well. Um, so, yeah, Terrence Ross is standing as sort of an outlet, but he's nowhere close to the three-point line. Like, he is way back yeah. on the playoffs logo, just to the left or, or to the sort of closer to center court of the hash mark. Like, he is nowhere close to even being part of this play. Um, if you look at sort of the dissection of it as well, Patrick Patterson has kind of been left by Kevin Garnett. They are obviously selling out to stop Kyle Lowry on this play. They know exactly where it's going. Patrick Patterson's right at the free throw line, completely unchecked. And you have Grievous Vasquez as well kind of roaming on the right wing a little bit. DeMar is back in the corner, which seems weird. He didn't really do anything on this play, just kind of hanging in the corner. Uh... I guess the first thing, there is a lot of sort of uh, zapprudering of what's going on with this play. The first thing that comes to mind is that this is drawn up on the wrong side of the court, according to <laughs> reports that, you know, Dwayne Casey didn't realize that it was on this, or he drew up the play as if it was on the opposite side. And I guess they kind of adjusted on the fly, but the one guy who didn't was Terrence Ross. Uh, at least that's sort of how the, the, the folklore goes. And he was on the wrong side of the court. What do you make of all this? Do you believe that there was like a, a weird mishap with a, like a Randy Whitman style mishap with the clipboard here? Like, what do you think happened? I, I mean, it looks that way. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's such a bizarre play, and the spacing it, is like, really strange. The spacing is so weird. Like, it 
it basically is the same play it looks like, except Lowry just had to go the other way, so mm-hmm. he had to drive left, which was harder for him, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, the Ross thing is so bizarre. Like, he really should have been in the corner. Yeah. But he's not. He's up top, and he's nowhere close to the arc. Like, he's a couple feet behind it. Like, yeah. uh, I'm not really sure why he's there. Uh, just, like... Even if he wasn't sure where he was supposed to be, I mean, like, just go stand in the corner. Like, just standing in the corner might have helped. Like, because he was there and so far from the arc, not even close enough to, like, really take a legit three-point shot if he got the ball, um, like, Alan Anderson was able to come down and cheat. And uh, they had, like, three guys. Once Lowry got to the elbow and he was going left, like, they basically had three nets on him because, you know, and that was part of the problem. Um yeah, there's like the whole play is bizarre. I think Lowry, as soon as he got the ball, like he was probably going to try and shoot it mm-hmm. because he'd been doing that all game long, and you know he was he thought it was on him. But yeah, th- there was a potential, some other options there, maybe like Patrick Patterson sets kind of a weird screen, mm-hmm. and then he starts to roll, and he is open. He is for like a second. Lowry would have had to you know jump pretty high over some nets there to get the ball to him or lob it over. Or, like, um, nutmeg Garnett. He could have nutmegged him. <laughs> yeah, he could have nutmegged Garnett. That's true. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, but you can see Pierce. Like, Pierce is ready to just, like, leave DeRozan entirely to yeah. come help. Um, so, like, I don't know. I mean, Patterson could have, like, gone up immediately, but I'm, I'm not sure. Like, can you imagine the criticism if Lowry gave it up to Patrick Patterson and, like, he just gets blocked by <laughs> Paul Pierce? Like, they, he would have had so like, just as much as he has now, like, I, I feel like, you know, it would have been like, well, he didn't even shoot it. Like, he gave it up immediately to Patrick Patterson, of all people, and mm-hmm. and he misses. And then if Patterson gets the ball, and from there, the next natural pass, if Pierce comes over, is to kick it to DeRozan in the corner for three, and that is, like, I, I can't even think about how that would have went. Yeah, I guess the, the two options that you could have had in the way that it ended up transpiring were... You have Lowry potentially find a pocket pass to Patterson there, whether he nutmegs or, or kind of wraps it around Garnett's leg. And then maybe Gra- Grievous Vasquez kind of comes up a little bit around the arc to the more of the wing. Because like, just I'm looking at a still image of it right now. Damar is in the corner. Grievous is also kind of in the corner, right at the elbow where the where the arc where, where the arc kind of uh, bends. And like again, Ross is totally off in no man's land up in the far left reaches of the screen. Um, so in, in the way this is drawn up. You could have done a couple things. Grievous could have slid up a little bit on the arc, and, you know, I think that's... I don't know if that's Marcus Thornton or Joe Johnson guarding him. I can't really tell. There's a, It seems like there's a headband on him, but maybe not. It might, it might just be Joe Johnson's pronounced hairline. Um, <laughs> so it's one of those two guarding Grievous. Again, Paul Pierce is just, like, hanging off of DeMar, because why wouldn't you hang off DeMar? And the way it's set up, like, I don't even know if Patrick could find a pass to DeMar in the corner just because there's two nets kind of right there to disrupt that passing lane. The great thing would be if if Terrence Ross was in the actual corner he's supposed to be standing in, there's a yeah. wide-open pass there if, if if Patrick Patterson wants to find him, if Alan Anderson really feels like he needs to come up that high to be in Lowry's way. But the way it's drawn up, the way it's spaced, there's just no way for there to be any space for... Uh, like, Alan Anderson is in the, the position he is to kind of be that extra third guy because of where Ross is on the court. So the spacing is entirely thrown off. And again, you're either asking Patterson to get the ball in the roll with 3.7 seconds left or something and make a good decision with it, which, yikes, or you're asking him to kick out to Grievous Vasquez, which maybe that is the move. Maybe that's the the play, but it would have you know, really had to... I don't think that's how they would have drawn it up, right? And 
just the spacing of it is messed up. So Kyle ends up and like somehow splitting the triple team that gets thrown his way. And it's really impressive the way he does it. He just sort of one of those little push-ahead dribbles, sneaks through the, the trees, and ends up coming through the other side with a chance at the rim. But then, as you said, Paul Pierce is so ready to help off of DeMar that it doesn't even matter. And he's just over there and there to block away the shot. And with that, we will leave it there and come back tomorrow to continue to break down the rest of this play on which the Raptors got their ass blocked and fell to the Nets by one point at the buzzer. We will talk about uh, whether or not you know the right lineup was on the floor for the Raptors, the strangeness of this play and how it all is all spaced and everything like that. Uh, listener questions as well, I believe, came in near the end of this podcast too. So uh, thank you so much for tuning in today. Please subscribe to, rate, review, all that good stuff. Wherever you get your podcast, it's so, so appreciated when you do that. Uh, please tell a friend if they're bored and looking for something to fill the time locked on raptors is here for you we got 707 episodes worth of stuff to fill your time now uh if you want to go back and listen to random shows about wins over the phoenix suns in 2017 i highly recommend it that's going to do it for today thank you so much for tuning in and we will talk to you again tomorrow on thursday with another episode of locked on raptors as we continue to break down game seven against the nets now go tell your smart speaker to play locked on fantasy baseball Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.